invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 23, Luke 11, verse 14 through 23, just to remember the context, uh, Jesus has taught his disciples to pray. Uh, he's in the bigger, the bigger context as Jesus teaching his disciples uh, what it means to be a disciple, to lean and rest on Jesus, but now to have their will and their heart aligned with God's purposes in the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and then he encouraged them by uh, showing them the eagerness with which the Father uh, was waiting to bless them, the boldness that they could, they could have as they prayed to their Father. Um, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven, who's already given you Jesus, will be eager to give you everything uh, that you need and the, uh, the things that you ask him in Jesus' name. And now we're going to uh, continue, beginning in verse 14, as Jesus does another miracle and uh, people are ascribing his power to demonic sources and Jesus just makes very clear the nature and the presence of the kingdom of God. And so let's pick it up in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is, whoever is, not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, again this morning, give us the ears to hear the words of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Your sheep know your voice. And Lord, those today maybe who um, are not interested in hearing the voice of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and open those ears as well. Uh, for this is the Lord, this is the King. Uh, his words are life. Help us to receive them as such. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is Kingdoms in Conflict. I don't have an outline for you since we did not have the ability to run off copies, uh, but you can scribble notes however you, you would like to. Uh, kingdoms in Conflict. I don't know if you've been to the movies in the last uh, 10 years or so. I suppose most of you uh, have at some point, but if you've been paying attention to what's coming out of Hollywood, you'll notice that there's been a pretty radical uh, shift in the last, probably last 10 years. Uh, that the movies that really are the blockbusters and have taken center stage are the superhero uh, sorts of movies. So you have Batman, and I don't know how many versions of that uh, have, have come out. Superman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, uh, X-Men. Uh, just recently there was uh, the Ant-Man. Uh, that's right, the Ant-Man. His uh, superpower is the ability to become very, very uh, small and, and uh, do things... Uh, 
helpful, I suppose, in that way. Uh, and, and you know the stories, of course. If the, uh, the super person, uh, whatever their powers might be, vary, but the plot line of the stories are very, very simil- similar, and, th- and the main idea is identical. Uh, that is that there's some great malevolent power that is at loose and uh, is seeking to destroy the world. And whatever form, and they're quite cre- creative in their various uh, uh, attempts to destroy the world, but whatever it might be, uh, the super uh, hero alone is able to stop it. Mortal men are powerless. And, uh, and so the world is really relying upon the ability of the superhero to save it from the malevolent power, the great evil. Well, th- they might seem like innocent fun, but th- these movies really unwittingly reflect a biblical worldview. You see, friends, the truth is there, there actually is a malevolent power more frightening, more purely evil and awful than anything Hollywood could imagine. There really is a malevolent power out to destroy you and to destroy God's good creation. His intent from the beginning in his hatred of God has been to do anything in his power to thwart the purposes of God, to to stain and mar and and destroy the good creation of God, and he hates nothing more than people made in the image of God, and then nothing more than those who actually are new creations. There really is a twisted, awful, horrific evil that is intending to destroy and desecrate God's good earth and destroy his people. I think what we saw this last week in Oregon is just one more example. I don't know if you, if you heard, but the young man who was responsible left notes saying that hell will welcome me and the devil will embrace me. Uh, he clearly saw himself as doing something for the powers of hell. This young man, unfortunately, had a horrible surprise when he actually went there. But this is what we see taking place. Um, you can look in your newspaper any day and uh, the jihadist terrorists. I uh, just saw recently they beheaded two young children, probably looked like six, seven-year-old boys, uh, because they um, would not denounce Christ. You see what's going on with Planned Parenthood. And just the unbelievable, unthinkable evil. And yet people will with a straight face, justify it, and politicians will take their stand to do everything in their power to protect it. We used to think that Hitler uh, was unthinkable, and yet we find uh, the atrocities that are committed in our country to be equally, equally as abhorrent. And all of that is just a small, small, small picture. You think of all the injustices in the world. You think of all the abuses. You think of just the horrible, horrible things that people do to people and that governments do to their own people. And you begin to understand, if you're willing to look, and we see we, we so often don't want to look. It's just too overwhelming. It's too painful. It's, it's just too awful. And yet that is the reality of the world in which we live. It's a reality that Jesus saw with perfect clarity, with perfect vision, every single day he was on earth. 
the reality of this cosmic spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness began when Lucifer broke ranks, uh, Lucifer being one of God's um, angels, created good and yet decided to uh, attack and oppose God, seeking to be made God himself. And ever since that moment, there's been this great battle that's been waging and it will continue to, um, to unfold until the devil is cast, of course, uh, finally and eternally into judgment. But we do have the good news that he is already a defeated foe. We do not stand here today with the outcome in, in question. Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross and rose victoriously from the grave, conquered, defeated, destroyed the devil's power. But we still see the effects of the devil's influence. Uh, this is an age where all things are not yet made new, and the devil is allowed, by, uh, the, in the wisdom of God, the devil is allowed to still wreak his havoc to... Um, to set about destroying this creation and destroying God's people specifically. And if you're a Christian, you've experienced that reality this week. You've experienced the truth of the, uh, your flesh trying to uh, betray you and lead you into sin. You've experienced the world trying to conform you into its image and likeness. Maybe you had no... Um, conscious thought that that was happening, but in, in everything the world produces in its, in its literature, its music, its movies, its entertainment, uh, its principles, its education, everything the world is doing is, is uh, done on the basis of its principles, and it's seeking to conform you to its principles. Everything the world does, it does with no reference ultimately to God or to eternity or to the necessity of Jesus or the reign of Jesus, and it's always trying to conform you. The advertisements that you get in the mail or on your, on your phone now, whatever, it's all trying to get you to buy into this kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And the devil, of course, is commanding his hosts of demons constantly to use their power to try to lead you into sin. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, uh, just put it on your to-do list. And if you've read it maybe a long time ago, do it again. It's just wonderful insight into the, the devil knows you. It, the demons understand you. Have you ever had this experience? I, I'm, I'm sure you have. Where you were just going about your day, doing your work, uh, cleaning the house, taking a moment to rest, whatever it was, and suddenly out of nowhere, the clear blue sky came this temptation to sin. And there was no intent in your heart. Maybe you might have been singing a hymn, but suddenly this, this thought just presents itself, or maybe an opportunity to sin suddenly arises, and there it is. And you think, where in the world did, did that come from? Now, maybe you were tired, maybe you are hungry, maybe you, were, you had just had some success in some event and you were proud. And then out of the blue comes this temptation to sin. Where did it come from? It, friend, it, the devil saw you in a weak moment and he attacked you. The sp spiritual warfare is real. You are not just sort of blithely living your life, right, dictating your course. The opportunity that presents itself is not just a chance of fate, a circumstance. You're in a spiritual war. And the devil is seeking 
whom he may devour constantly. And so we need to listen and see the lesson that Jesus has for us this morning, that this spiritual warfare is real, but there is a, there is a conqueror in it. And as we abide in him, we can experience that victory. I'm going to just look at three. Our three points are going to be, first, the incredible miracle, then the, the silly uh, response. It's an illogical response. That will be our second point. And then the irrefutable fact, the irrefutable reality that uh, this miracle points to. So the incredible miracle, the illogical response, and then the irrefutable fact. First, the miracle. Luke says, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. This is of just one of numerous accounts we have of Jesus uh, performing this type of miracle. Uh, but I just want to take a moment and, and note the significance of the prevalence of demons. Why, why so many demons in Israel? It's a, it's a strong indictment, you see, against God's people. It, it's an indicator of where they are spiritually. That, that Israel is not this, this uh, strong house of faith. It is shot through with unbelief, with sin. Uh, demonic presence is everywhere. It's real. And, and it's just a sense of the, you know, Israel is not just under Roman rule. They're not just suffering under the rule of Rome. They're suffering under the powers of darkness, the power of the devil, it's a sad, sad indictment uh, concerning the desperate spiritual condition of God's people. But I think we can also acknowledge that demonic activity probably sparks when Jesus arrives. The devil knows who he is. The demons, remember, will, will often call out, what are you, you know, oh, son of God, oh, son of the most high, what, we, what are you going to do to us? Don't throw us into the abyss. Uh, they know who he is. And so you can be sure that the devil is doing everything that he can to thwart the mission of Jesus Christ. He knows why Christ has come. He doesn't understand all the intricacies of it. He has no clue of what's going to happen on the cross. But he knows that Christ is the enemy, and he's going to do everything that he can to thwart him. Do you ever, do you, does that ever just strike you what an amazing thing it is that Jesus, every single day of Jesus' life, if we can say it this way, your salvation hung in the balance. Every single day, Jesus was doing mortal, intimate combat with the evil one every single day. And in that was purchasing your salvation every single day. Every day, Jesus had to set his heart to do, to, to do the will of the Father. Every day, Jesus had to oppose every temptation that came his way. It's an astonishing thing to think about. That Jesus was always being attacked. Always Jesus was fighting for your salvation. Every day Jesus was fighting for your everlasting soul. Praise God that he did. Well, here he comes upon this man who's been demon-possessed. And you would have then not just the physical disability, you would have the spiritual horror if you've ever been someplace that just felt evil, you get a sense of the, how frightening that is, how black it is, how it just, if you have any a sense of what is good and right and true or, or, or a desire for life, 
that spiritual darkness feels like death. It feels, it, it feels not just morally wrong, but there's, a, there's an essential nature to it of, of dissolution, things coming apart, decay, death, awfulness, darkness, despair. That's what this man's experiencing. He'd once had the ability to, to talk, it seems, and then this demonic oppression has come. He's lost his ability to communicate, and so he's trapped in this world. He cannot even express to people what it feels like to be, uh, to, to be a, a dwelling place for pure evil. There's nothing good in demons. It's, just, it's awful to imagine the bondage, the darkness that this man experiences. And Jesus comes upon this man it sees the situation, rebukes and casts out the demon. Immediately, the man spoke. So the external evidence of the demonic oppression, immediately uh, when the demon leaves, this man is speaking. And you have to know he's praising God. Matthew's account specifically says that. He's giving glory to God. But you see, it's not just happy. He's not just delighted he can talk. The oppression is gone. The darkness is gone. The despair, the evil, that clammy, thick, wicked, awful, decaying presence is gone. He's free. The malevolent powers has been forced to leave him alone. I, I mean, if you could just interview this guy five minutes after this has happened. What, a, what an amazing uh, experience this man has. And the people notice it. Luke points us to their reaction. The people marveled. In Matthew, some of them say, never was anything like this seen in Israel. They sense the, the amazing power of Jesus. We get used to the stories, but if you'd been there, if you'd seen it happen, and Jesus with the word rebukes a demon, everybody knows it's a demon, and immediately the man is completely, absolutely set free. You'd been stunned too. There is, there is power in Jesus, supernatural, good power. Oh, they're marveling. But some said, and here we come to the dramatic tension of the, the text. Some said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So these people are standing around and they see this thing happen and some of them are marveling and praising God and other people are antagonistic and attack this work as, as belonging to the kingdom of darkness and others are agnostic. To test him, they keep seeking a sign. You know, it's, it is impressive, they have to grant that, but and they don't know if they have sufficient evidence at this point to really acknowledge what this sign seems to be saying about Jesus. They're, they're going to withhold uh, commitment, withhold judgment. Jesus is going to get to that when he talks about the sign of Jonah. This is a wicked generation that asked for a sign. We hope to get that in next week. But that's where the people are, some rejoicing, but others uh, accusing and others agnostic. And Luke wants us to, uh, Jesus responds to the antagonism of those who accuse him. They accuse him of doing this by the power of the devil. It's a blasphemous thought. It, it is such an awful thought that, that there ought to be immediate, immediate repentance. That it would just, that, that it would even enter their mind. 
I mean, here is the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, in human form, on earth, setting captives free, and he's going to do it at the cost of his own life. And to stand there in front of the second person of the Trinity and charge him with being a demon or being uh, um, motivated or under the power of the devil, you see, it's just it's one of the most awful things you could say to Christ. They're, they're saying this to, to the Son of God who made heaven and earth. And they have the audacity, seeing Jesus perform this miracle of healing and of uh, beating back the forces of darkness, seeing Jesus carry out his ministry as he promised he would, as the prophet Isaiah foretold, if you remember. And now they have the audacity to say this is, this is, this is clear evidence that Jesus is demon-possessed. And so Jesus responds first by pointing out what, how illogical this is and then how inconsistent it is. First, verse 17 and 18. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Come on, you know, he's just say, gentlemen, think this through. Really? The devil is going to send demons to cast out demons? How does that work? That's, that's just, it's so awfully stupid. I mean, really think of it. If, if, the, if the devil keeps, if it's true, if, if Jesus is an agent of the devil, if the devil keeps up this pace, he will have entirely destroyed his kingdom in a matter of years. Because the, the sick will be healed, the, 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 the lepers will be cleansed, the, the demons will all be cast out, the devil will have completely collapsed his entire kingdom. It's just so stupid. You see, it's absolutely ridiculous. To suggest it. So why would they suggest that these are bright guys? Because they don't like Jesus. They hate what he stands for. They sense that he's a threat to their world, their little kingdom that they're building, uh, their agenda, their righteousness. Jesus is a threat, and so they just discredit him. This has nothing to do with what could possibly be true. It's, it's just an attempt to discredit Jesus. But then Jesus kind of turns the screws a bit, and he shows how inconsistent. He says, if I'm doing it by the powers of the devil, then uh, how do your guys do it? Because when their men, there seemed to be exorcists in Israel who would, were able to cast out demons. We're not told much about that, so we don't know all the circumstances. But they clearly thought that this was an, uh, uh, by the power of God. They would clearly celebrate that. You maybe would even have these traveling exorcists, like traveling uh, right, TV evangelists or something today, and they would go around and they could maybe raise some money. They, they clearly are, are, are intended to shore up the, the legitimacy of the, the uh, spiritual leaders of the day. So Jesus says, okay, so if your guys are casting out demons by the power of God, when I'm doing exactly the same thing, how could it possibly be that I'm doing it by the power of the devil? So if casting out demons is by the power of the demons, then, then well, you better go talk to your guys. Let them be your judges. You, you go work this out with them. Because they're going to protest. They're going to say, no, it's the power of God, I promise you. You see, he's got them absolutely trapped. But they're not, um, they're not, they're not seeking what's true. They're just opposing Jesus. The truth is irrelevant. 
You see that so commonly when there's evil. Truth doesn't matter. Facts are utterly negotiable. And so what Jesus concludes with is this, is this very strong, irrefutable, and inescapable fact If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, here's the crux of the matter. Jesus has shown the utter foolishness, the inconsistency of saying that he was doing this by the power of the devil. So all the evidence points to the fact that he's doing it by the finger of God. That's a very vivid picture. Devil be gone. If I'm doing that by the finger of God, then God's here. Because when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the presence of the king. God's reign, God's rule in the presence of Jesus. This is, if you remember, the message of John the Baptist. It's repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. When the disciples, both the group, the the 12 and the 72, when they're sent out, it's exactly their message. This is a time to repent. The king has come. It's time to get things in order. It's time to to recognize that when the king is here, there is a necessary obligation laid upon his creatures, those made in his image. You must respond to the king. And if you don't, there will be an accounting. That's the sense of it. I don't know if you've ever uh, had an IRS audit. I never have. I never hope to have. It doesn't sound like much fun at all. But if you've ever had, I would imagine there's a lot of scrambling to get papers together and maybe kind of double-checking your numbers because somebody's going to sit down and he's really not for you. And he's going to research your books. And if there are errors there, he will not only point them out, he will hold you accountable for them. If you've been doing things on your computer you shouldn't be doing, and your boss says, I'd like, uh, I'd like to take that computer home with me tonight because I'd like to look through uh, some files. There's accountability. There's going to be a response to things that you've said and things that you've done and things that you, you've been doing on your computer. See? That's the sense that Jesus is trying to communicate. There is... There is real, actual accountability if the king is here, if the kingdom of God is here. Do you realize that's exactly the logic that Peter uses in his first sermon, Acts chapter 2? That this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He's king. And the men were struck to the heart. They were not ready for the king. Their hearts were evil. They had, they had put him to death on the cross. And so they say to Peter, what must we do to be saved? If the message of the gospel never strikes you with that question, you've not understood the nature of the kingdom of God. If you've, if you've never asked that question of Jesus, if you've never asked that question of the Bible, if there's never been a wrestling in your soul, the, the sense that there is judgment coming, there's accountability coming, and you need to be saved. If you've never come with that, you, you're, still, you're still in the darkness. You don't understand what the stakes are. You don't realize what's going on. 
Jesus says, if I cast out this demon by the finger of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. It is upon you. And there's going to be a counting. And then Jesus proves that that's exactly what's going on. In verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. You see, Jesus is saying, put two and two together, folks. Here was a demon-possessed man, and that demon was absolutely confident that he was safe here in this man's life, that his goods were safe. He was there in his own palace, but then someone stronger than he shows up and overcame him and took away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. The evidence, you see, all is irrefutable that Jesus Christ is the king. Jesus Christ is the greater one. Jesus Christ has come here to plunder uh, the strong man's palace. So there's an ominous warning here for the enemies of God. The kingdom of darkness will not stand against the assaults of King Jesus. The kingdom of God is advancing and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. We read this celebration of Jesus' victory, Revelation chapter 11. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, right? That's exactly where that comes from. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's Jesus That's the glory of the gospel. So that the devil and all of his hosts are in the most profound way on the wrong side of history. It's a phrase that you'll hear used often today, particularly by progressives as they try to argue that uh, biblical morality and biblical values and biblical truths, that was, you know, something that the world kind of got into uh, over the last maybe a couple thousand years. But... But the world is evolving, values are changing, and and, uh, uh, just uh, new truths are sort of being discovered. And if you want to stand for that old biblical stuff, okay, but you're on the wrong side of history. Well, that's just laughable. That's laughable. The kingdom of God has entered this world in Jesus Christ. And that means Jesus is history. And every human act, every human life will be judged by the standard of Jesus Christ and his lordship. And the devil and all who belong to him are in the most fundamental way possible, absolutely on the wrong side of history. Luther writes, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I hope that strikes you as good news today. The spiritual battle is real. 
We see the devastating effects of it all around us, but there's great hope for a lost world. Riken writes this, the strong man is Satan. Jesus portrays him as a wealthy prince taking his ease in a fortified palace surrounded by his treasure. He is so strong, his fortress seems unassailable. What does the devil have? You see, what did the, what did the devil have to make him feel secure? He had the law of God. He had the justice of God that he could appeal to as he claimed souls and dragged them to hell. He had, the, he, he had, he had God in his, in his mind. He had God in a box. God could not deny himself. God could not deny his justice. And God could not deny the wickedness of his people. So what's God going to do? He never imagined a Jesus. This is a frightening picture, Riken says, of the devil's dominion over lost sinners. The goods in his palace are the souls of people who are in bondage to sin, whom Satan has claimed to be his own, and who have yet to be rescued from his dominion. Is there hope for those who are in bondage to their sin? Hope for those in bondage under the law? Hope for those who've been uh, trapped in the devil's palace? Can anybody rescue you? If evil has laid hold on you, if you've become involved in evil and you have, if you've done evil and you have, absolutely. God has sent a savior, a king, a champion, a rescuer, and he has triumphed gloriously. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, what is it? What are the things that frighten you? What are the things that make you afraid? Is it judgment? Is it suffering? Is it pain? Is it, is it accountability? What is it? in your deepest heart of hearts that, that brings fear to you. Jesus Christ has come to set you free from fear because Jesus Christ came to set you free from the reality of the bondage you were in because of your guilt and your shame, because of the evil things you've done and your powerlessness to change it. Jesus Christ has come and freely sets captives free. That's the gospel, and that's the message we have for this world. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, but it does matter you respond. Because the kingdom has come. This is no time for antagonism and it's no time for agnosticism. It's no time to be sitting on the sidelines saying, well, I need some more evidence. Because Jesus says, finally, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so you see, Jesus presses the point. He just brings it right down, down the middle of the road, down the middle of the plate, right into your life. And he asks the question, are you with me? Are you with me? In your mind, are you with me? In your heart, are you with me? In your checkbook, are you with me? In the way you use your time, the way you use your mouth, what you do with your eyes? Are you with me? Or are you with the world? And committed to yourself. Because the kingdom of God has come. And it's come upon you. So what will be the answer? There's no time to ride the fence. But you see, the beauty of it is, the beauty of the gospel, and we'll wrap with this, is that this is a day of grace. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to convict, but not to condemn. 
but that through him the world might be saved so that as you let the, the word of Jesus Christ just come right into your home or into your life, into, into where you live and what you think and say and do, when Jesus' word comes and he says, where are you with me or against me? You can confess the truth. Lord, so often I'm, I'm not with you. So often I'm, I'm not with you, but I want to be. I want to be. And by your spirit, you can make me more and more committed to gathering with you. There's work to do. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So if we're with Jesus, we're going to be committed to things that Jesus is committed to. And we pray together then as, as a people who need this Jesus. We need to be rescued by him. And, and having been rescued, we need to be rescued still. Every single day, you see, we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, Confess my sin. I haven't been with you as I ought. The realities of the kingdom of God have not formed me as they should, but I want them to. Make them. Drive that home into my heart. May the gospel truth free me from guilt and fear and shame, and may the reality of King Jesus, the reality of his lordship, his rightful claim on my life in every aspect. Lord, make that precious. Make it joyful. Make it real. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's respond to it. Amen. Oh, God, you know us. You know our rebellious selves, our rebellious nature. And yet, Jesus Christ, you're able you're able to set us free from the power of sin, the power of the devil. You're able to rescue us from the power of death. And you are able, Lord Jesus Christ, to make us fruitful participants in the kingdom of God. You're able to make us gatherers with you. Jesus, I pray that your word this morning would strike home. There's some here today who maybe are antagonistic towards the things of God. They go to church, but they, they do not delight in Jesus. They really, uh, they really hate him. They have no concern for him. They can't wait to be done, to be gone. And some, Lord, are uh, agnostic. Maybe they don't think they're agnostic, but they're willing to listen to the, the sermons and sing the songs, but... They know in their heart they're not committed to any of it. Jesus, I pray that the reality of the kingdom of God would break through and bring them to repentance. And Lord, so many of us this morning are we're tired. We're, we just needed to know today that we're going to be okay if we belong to Jesus. And I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you assure us that as we confess our sin and look to you and lean on your strength, as we trust in your righteousness, we have been set free forever. And the devil has no claim on us ever again. And no matter how weak our flesh is, no matter how powerful the world is, and no matter what the assaults of the devil might be, we are safe in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live there at peace and with joy. Lord, may we gather with you and be actively engaged in your mission in this world today then to let this world know the kingdom of God has come upon us and that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth of the life and the life. So Lord, bless us as your people. In his name we pray it, amen.